So we prayed for hope. So how about some hope today? Because if you're like me, I'm just sick of social media. I'm sick of the news. I'm sick of your opinions. Your opinions that you hold about everything, I'm sick of them. And I'm sick of my opinions. I'm sick of everybody's opinion. We were just singing, is he worthy? And he says, do you feel the world is broken? It is. I thought, we should add the line, are you sick of everyone's opinions? We are. I am. I'm sick of everybody's opinion about everything because everybody holds their opinion and only their opinion is right and the entire world is wrong unless you agree with them. So I'm sick of everybody's opinion. I want God's opinion. So we're going to look at the Apostle Paul, get his opinion on life as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words in 2 Corinthians 1.10 where he says this about Jesus. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. On one particular occasion, the great reformer Martin Luther was so depressed, so full of despair, so down in the dumps, just suffering from a severe case of the blahs, that he left his house just to get some fresh air. And who hasn't been there? Who hasn't been there in the last six months, just suffering a severe case of the blahs, down in the dumps? Well, that was Luther. He just had to get out of town and get some fresh air. Get away from it all. And while he was gone, his wife Katie put on a black dress and sat down in a chair and she waited for Martin to come home. And when Luther returned, he walked into the house, he saw Katie in the black dress and he immediately asked her, did someone die? Are you going to a funeral? No, Katie replied. But since you act like God is dead, I want to join you in your mourning. Luther got the message. Charles Spurgeon mentions this black dress situation in a sermon he preached on Isaiah 41 where he said this, Martin Luther was a very cheerful man as a rule, but he had terrible fits of depression. He was at one time so depressed that his friends recommended him to go away for a change of air to see if he could get some relief. He went away, but he came home as miserable as ever, and when he went into the sitting room, his wise wife Kate, Catherine von Bora, was sitting there, dressed in black, and her children round about her, all in black. Oh, oh, said Luther, who is dead? Why, said she, doctor, have you not heard that God is dead? My husband, Martin Luther, would never be in such a state of mind if he had a living God to trust to. Then Luther burst into a hearty laugh and said, Kate, thou art a wise woman. I have been acting as if God were dead, and I will do so no more. Go and take off thy black. Husbands, that's a great line to say to your wives. Thou art a wise woman. Well, Spurgeon continues in his sermon. He says, if God be alive, why are we discouraged? If we have a God to look to, why are we cast down? Let us rejoice and be glad together, for God will do all that he has promised for this reason. And then Spurgeon goes on to quote Isaiah 41.20. That they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord hath done this and the Holy One of Israel hath created it. 
God wants you to know that he is at work on your behalf. He wants you so to trust him as to see how his promises can be applied to your case and what his right hand can accomplish even for you. Let us trust him tonight with all our hearts. As Christians, our hope is found deep inside God. That's where our hope is located, deep inside God, deep in his Character deep down inside his heart. Our God is not dead. We're not at his funeral, so we're not dressed in all black. At least some of us aren't. But the path of discipleship is not a funeral procession. We don't have to wear black all the time as if the Christian journey was one long funeral. We are a people of hope. And so let's let out a hearty laugh today that Jesus is making all things new right now and that he will one day wipe away all of our tears and everything sad that we have ever experienced in this world will come untrue. Let me ask you this morning, how big is your view of God? Just how powerful is your God? Listen, if you shrink Jesus down to a manageable size, then you will crumble under suffering. If you make Jesus out to be some kind of softy, then you'll have no hope as you suffer. The Apostle Paul had a big view of God. He believed and he hoped in and he relied on God who raises the dead, as we saw last week in verse 9. And so here's our big idea, big idea today, and it's just oozing out of verse 10. No mild God or soft Jesus can give his people hope. No mild God, no soft, prissy Jesus can give his people hope. If you have a low view of God, you will crumble under suffering. If you don't see Jesus as the all-powerful, sovereign God who conquered death and has the power and the ability to bring dead people back to life, then your suffering will seem all-powerful and sovereign, and it will feel like death. No mild God or soft, pansy Jesus can give his people hope when they suffer, but the Jesus of the Bible can. You can pin all your hopes on him because he is all-powerful and sovereign and he really can raise the dead. He can. And that might be just enough info about Jesus to get you through this week. A mild, soft Jesus, ain't nobody got time for that. So let's trust him today, right now, with all of our hearts. Let's trust him. I mean, has Jesus ever given us reason to not trust him? Has he ever let us down? Has he ever been fickle? No. He is faithful. He's trustworthy. He's true. So you have every reason to place all of your trust in God today and tonight, Christian If Jesus is alive, we should be full of hope. If Jesus came back from the dead, why are we discouraged? 
Now, understand something. This is not to say that we can never grieve or that we have to fake it until we make it or we have to try to force a smile or that we downplay real suffering and pain and sorrow. As we saw last week, sometimes you get cut real deep by people. People hurt you. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes your little heart is breaking and it just hurts and you don't feel like letting out a hearty laugh like Luther said. So understand that hope, Christian hope, doesn't remove hurt, but hope can help with hurt. The presence of hope does not mean the absence of hurt. The presence of hope does not mean the absence of hurt. We live in a fallen, broken world where we do hurt. Our hearts break. We get stabbed by people, beat up, damaged, and bruised. And that hope hurts. But Christianity offers hope to sufferers. Jesus hugs us the hardest where we hurt the most. Your broken little heart matters to him today. Think about that. and Believe that today. Jesus hugs us the hardest where we hurt the most. He squeezes us the tightest where we are suffering. I love that about him. And so there is a time to weep. We are called to weep with those who weep, Romans 12, 15. When Martin Luther says that we should let out a hearty laugh and go and take off our black clothes, he's not saying that suffering isn't real and that we should always be happy and snappy and chipper. Luther is not saying that at all, and neither am I, because that's fake. And you know what? I don't do fake well. I don't do fake well. If that's Christianity where we have to fake it till we make it, I'm going to make a terrible disciple. I don't do fake well. That's not being real with what's going on in your heart. Discipleship is not a fake it till you make it journey. It's about being honest, right? Christians are supposed to be honest, right? But if you're like me and you're like Martin Luther, more often than not, I get down in the dumps and I break out in a case of the blahs over relatively minor suffering. Sometimes when little minor inconveniences and troubles pop up in my life, I break out in a case of the blahs. But thankfully, I have a wife who often comes along like Katie Von Bora and rebukes me and helps recalibrate my heart. So before we dive into our text today, let's stop and think about all the godly women who have rebuked and recalibrated their stupid husbands, like Katie Von Bora did with Martin Luther. Would we have the Martin Luthers and the John Calvins and the Charles Spurgeons if it were not for the Katie Von Bors and the Idolette Calvins and the Suzette or Susanna Spurgeons? I don't think we would. These great men are well known, but their wives should be as well. I am convinced that were it not for the rebukes and comforts of Katie Von Bohr, Idolette Calvin, and Susanna Spurgeon, then we would not know about Martin, John, or Charles. Thank God for wives who rebuke their stupid husbands. Okay, let's dig into God's Word. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're only going to be looking at verse 10 today. And my hope is that we will all break out in a case of the hopes after we are exposed to God's word, I pray that we can let out a hearty laugh today because of the hope of the gospel, because we don't serve a mild or soft Jesus. 
we have every reason to be full of hope today. And that's exactly what we'll see with the Apostle Paul. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 10 again and hear the word of the Lord. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So even though Paul has suffered immensely through his life and ministry, he's surprisingly full of hope. Paul says here, on him we have set our hope. Not on our situations. We don't set our hope on our situations, not on our circumstances, not on some ideal future that we want, not on some ideal designer life. That's what I do. I dream up this designer life where everything goes the way I want and everything happens the way I want. And I think that that will bring me happiness. And then I try to pin my hopes on that fantasy life that I've created. Sadly, I still think that I know what's best for me and that Jesus really doesn't. If only Jesus knew what I knew, then I'd be happy. If only Jesus was privy to all the great plans and ideas that I have for my life. Do you know what happens when you think that way? What happens when you pin your hopes on what you want and you pin your hopes on how you want your future to turn out? Answer, you end up being dissatisfied with God and you don't enjoy your present life and you certainly don't enjoy God. So Paul says here that he sets his hope on him. This is where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life. Where is your hope in some future that you want or is it on him listen your day-to-day life your very day-to-day life will be impacted by those two little words in verse 10 on him let me ask you where have you pinned your hope paul knows that if his hope cannot outlast his present sufferings, his present situation, he knows then he is to be pitied. Paul knows that his hope, that if his hope has an expiration date, then how can it sustain him in the present? If his hope cannot outlast his life and cannot outlast his ministry and outlast all of his present sufferings, how can it sustain him right then and there in that moment? Paul's hope is connected to the resurrection of Jesus, as we saw last week in verse 9. Paul's hope for his life and for the Corinthian church that he planted, it was connected to Jesus' resurrection, meaning Paul's hope goes beyond this world. In other words, Paul's hope doesn't die when he dies. Paul's hope goes beyond Paul. Paul has hope that even if he dies... God's going to take care of this little messed up church in Corinth. It's not tied to Paul. It's not tied to his ministry. It's not because of him that this church will flourish or not flourish. It's not all riding on Paul. Paul knows that when I die, God is going to take care of this church because hope is rooted in Jesus and not in Paul and not in his ministry. That gives hope to a pastor. You could die today and God's going to take care of your church. Look at verse 10 again. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. 
On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So Paul has hope for future deliverance because Paul knows that the great story of the Bible is that God delivers his people. You see it time and time again in the Old Testament. God delivers, God saves his people. In fact, that's what Jesus' name means. Yahweh saves. Jesus' name in Hebrew is, is really the name Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. So the God that we worship, his name means God saves, God delivers. And Paul knows this is the big story of the Bible is that God is always delivering his people. In fact, Paul may even be thinking specifically here of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. You know the story. They said the exact same words when they were threatened with the fiery furnace if they did not worship King Nebuchadnezzar's image. If they did not do what the government told them to do. You can read in between the lines there. What did they say? Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Paul may have this story in mind here. He knows that God will deliver him, and even if he dies, Paul knows that God will ultimately deliver him from death, which is the greatest enemy. The fiery furnace ordeal here in Daniel 3 is just a snapshot of the great story of the Bible that God delivers his people. He always saves them. And we see it in the greatest event in the Old Testament, in the Exodus. God delivered his people from the clutches of Pharaoh and Egypt. But they had to do a lot of waiting before that happened, didn't they? 400 years. They had to wait 400 years to be delivered. Wow. I mean, think about that. 400 years. How long have we been dealing with the coronavirus? Six months? And we're like, ugh. We are weak people. I'm sorry, we are. Western America, we're fragile, we're weak. Something like this, just, we, we, we just melt like butter. They had to wait 400 years under oppression. Make bricks, use straw and mud. We don't like you now. We're taking away some of those elements. Now keep making bricks. And they waited and they waited and they waited 400 years. And here we are like, This was essential for the Corinthians to learn. They needed to move away from the triumphalism which was being pitched by the super apostles, this group of false teachers that invaded the church and they were trying to pass off this version of Christianity known as the victorious Christian life where you always prospered, you're always happy. And Paul wants the Corinthians to know you're going to have to wait as you suffer. There's no quick fix. There's no get spiritually rich Quick schemes, they were going to have to wait, learn to wait on God as they suffered. And we need to learn to wait. Understand this, Grace. True Christian maturity is waiting. If we are to move from any form of triumphalism to deep 
Christ-centered maturity, if we are to become more deep and profound little hobbits, as we saw last week, then we must get comfortable waiting our way through suffering and trials, waiting for God to deliver us. Let me say that again. If we are to become more deep and profound little hobbits, which I want to become because I don't wait well, if we are to become more deep and profound little hobbits, then we must get comfortable with waiting our way through sufferings and trials. Not rushing our way through, but waiting our way. Resting our way through sufferings and trials to maturity. There's no get rich, get mature scheme in discipleship. It's just a whole lot of waiting our way through suffering to maturity with our hope set on him, with our hopes pinned on him. Not our hopes pinned on will our situation ever change. If you're like me, my hopes have been pinned on when is all this going to end? That's where hope develops and grows as you learn to wait in trust. That's where you mature and become deep, profound little hobbits. And that's where God often does his most significant work in our lives. Perhaps God is doing his most significant work in your life in the middle of the coronavirus epidemic and he's waiting for you to turn off the TV and turn off the phone and open his Bible and talk to him and he's saying, I will do something in your life that will blow your mind away and I'll use this awful, terrible thing. That's what I feel like he's saying to me. Ralph Davis said this, frequently, All we can see are the onions of a situation. The sin or the smell of disappointment seems to dominate the scene, seems to cover our whole map. But perhaps that is only the cover for Yahweh's secret work. Perhaps our greatest comfort is hidden in what we don't know or can't see. Perhaps it is from Yahweh who has his own saving design to work either through or in spite of yuck and muck. So Paul is looking beyond his present situation, his yuck and his muck, with the hope that God will deliver him again in the future. In fact, he says it two times in verse 10. He wants us to get that. And by telling the Corinthians this, you know what he's doing? He's actually discipling them in hope. Has anyone ever discipled you in hope? He's discipling them in hope. He's trying to help them to quit focusing on the onions of the situation and instead look to Jesus. Notice that Paul is not consumed with the sin or the smell of disappointment here. He realizes that underneath all the onions and underneath all the sin and the smell of disappointment that has plagued this little church, he understands that God is working and that gives him hope. Paul knows that no mild God or soft Jesus can give his people hope. So as you think about what's happening in the world, you think about persecution, let me ask you, are you full of hope today? Or are you like, woe is me, woe is the church, woe is America. Ain't nobody got time for that business. Life is too short, right? Let's have some hope. 
Is Jesus on the throne? Is our governor? Is our president? The last time I read the Bible, Jesus is in charge and he's sovereign. Perhaps he's doing a secret work in the world right now. And if we would just put things down and focus on him for a minute, might that change our lives and our hearts? I know it's what I need is to look to Jesus and to really believe. This is the moment for us to really believe what we always sing about. We always sing about Romans 8, 28. He's working all things together for our good to those who love him and trust him. Right, right? Right? We do that, right? That's our go-to verse. Is it your go-to verse right now? In the midst of the pain and the sorrow and the struggle and your frustrations with this world, whether you're a mask person, no mask, conspiracy, no conspiracy, wherever you are in that, that might include there are aliens actually directing everything going on on the earth. I don't know where you're at. But do you believe Romans 8, 28 today? Is he sovereign? Are we going to believe our theology when we don't like what's going on in the world and we feel like we're being wronged and there's not justice and it's not fair for this? Are we going to believe what we believe? This is, I'm not trying to condemn you at all. This is what I'm preaching in my heart. Am I going to believe it? Am I going to believe what I believe? Let's believe what we believe. No mild God or soft Jesus can give us hope. We have to see a risen king reigning on his throne in charge of everything, doing his secret work as people fight on this side and that side and everywhere in the middle. But if you're like me, we are so prone to reimagine Jesus as a mild, soft God who can't uphold our cause in this world. It reminds me of the story about Martin Luther totally rebuking and totally roasting his friend Philip Melanchthon. Philip Melanchthon was very despondent, down in the dumps, had a serious case of the blahs over all the suffering that they were experiencing because they were standing up for justification by grace through faith in Christ alone for God's glory alone. And so Martin Luther sent a letter to his friend Philip to help pull him out of the dumps. Here's what Luther said. I love Luther. You need a friend like Luther in your life. This is what Luther said. I pray for you very earnestly, and I am deeply pained that you keep sucking up cares like a leech and thus rendering my prayers vain. Christ knows whether it comes from stupidity or the Spirit. But I, for my part, am not very much troubled about our cause. Indeed, I am more hopeful than I expected to be. God, who is able to raise the dead, is also able to uphold his cause when it is falling, or to raise it up again when it has fallen, or to move it forward when it is standing. If we are not worthy instruments to accomplish that purpose, he will find others. If we are not strengthened by his promises, where in all the world are people to whom these promises apply? But more of this another time. After all, my writing this is like pouring water into the sea. Wow. Luther totally roasted his friend Philip and rebuked him and told him, quit being a leech and sucking up all the cares and worries of the world. And then Luther said, you know what? I'm going to end my letter because I feel like my words of encouragement to you, it's like I'm, I'm taking a glass of water and just pouring them into the sea. It's making no difference at all in your life. He felt like he wasn't getting through to Philip. Basically, Martin Luther was telling Philip Melanchthon this, quit smelling the onions of the situation. No mild God or soft Jesus can give you hope, bro. 
And that's what verse 10 is telling us. Quit smelling the onions of the situation. Quit smelling the onions on Fox News. Quit smelling the onions on Facebook. Quit smelling the onions on Twitter. Quit viewing Jesus as a mild softy and have hope. And again, I'm not yelling at you and preaching at you. I'm preaching to my own heart. It's just bouncing off and you're hearing it, okay? That's all I'm doing is preaching to my heart and you're eavesdropping. I don't want you to feel bad. This is for me. Quit viewing Jesus as a mild softy and have hope. Quit obsessing over sufferings and hardships and instead look to the cross. Look to the resurrection. Look to Jesus and be full of hope. Set your hope on him that he will deliver you in his way and in, in, in his timing and then rub verse 10 into your pores. And here's what's so great about Christian hope. It's not based on what we deserve. Think about that. Isn't that great? Our hope is not based on what we deserve Because if the hope of God intervening in our lives was based on how good we've been, how much we've been praying, how much of the Bible we've read, then we'd have no hope. The hope of the Christian faith is based on how good and loving and kind God is to sinners. It's not based on our performance. It's all grace through and through, start to finish, grace, grace, grace. So set your hope on Jesus and not your track record of obedience. Don't set your hope on how hopeful you've been through the coronavirus. You've blown it. Okay, big deal. Repent and move on. And think about this. Perhaps all the drama and hardships and trials and suffering in your life is a cover for God's secret work. Have you thought about that? Entertain this thought with me for a moment. Perhaps all the drama and all the hardships and all the trials and all the suffering in your life is a cover for God's secret work. Perhaps all the onions and the smell of sin and disappointment is a cover for what God is really doing in your life. Perhaps your greatest comfort lies down deep where you can't see it. Perhaps Jesus has his own saving, delivering design that he is bringing about in spite of all the yuck and the muck. That's often when and where God does his secret work in our lives. It's in the yuck and the muck. It's the sin and the disappointment. That's often the soil that hope grows in the yuck and the muck. And if you understand that, that changes everything, doesn't it? Listen, 2 Corinthians 1.10 is in the Bible to remind you of this truth and to give you hope. Jesus is at work in the yuck and the muck to deliver you in his way and in his time. Your hope as a Christian is centered on Jesus and what he has done for you through his life, death, and resurrection. It's not centered on how good you've been as you've slogged your way through the yuck and the muck. Isn't that good news? Jesus will keep being good to you even when you fail to hope, when you fail to trust in him, when you keep messing up in the yuck and the muck. He's still going to keep being good to you. He delivered you from the tyranny of Satan and sin and he will deliver you from whatever yuck and muck you're experiencing right way in his ways and in his time. 
And so you need 2 Corinthians 1.10, and you need the hope that it offers, because whether we like it or not, suffering is standard issue for disciples. We see that in verse 10 because Paul says, On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. That phrase, deliver us again, implies that there's more suffering and more hardships on the horizon for Paul. More hardships and trials and deadly perils to be delivered from. In other words, Paul knows that suffering is simply a part of what it means to follow Jesus as a disciple. It's part of our pilgrim journey to the city that is to come. And Paul knows that sometime in the future, it might be tomorrow, it might be next week, it might be next month, Paul knows that at some point in the future, he is going to suffer again. He will find himself in some form of affliction, some form of deadly peril that he's going to be, need to be delivered from again. Suffering is coming his way again. But he also knows that whatever happens, whatever comes his way, God will deliver him. So there is this certainty of troubles and suffering, but even more, there is the certainty of deliverance. And understanding that changes everything, right? There is certainty of troubles, certainty of suffering and sorrow, but even more, there is the certainty of deliverance, that we will be delivered. He will deliver us again. You ought to underline and circle and highlight that phrase in verse 10. Paul says it twice in verse 10 because Paul wants you to use your highlighter on that verse. He will deliver us again. What's true of Paul is true for you too. Sometime in the future. It might be tomorrow. It might be next week. It might be next month. You too will experience a new round of suffering, a new round of affliction, a new round of troubles, a new round of heartache, a new round of sorrow, a new round of despair, a new round of tribulation, a new round of persecution, a new round of betrayal, a new round of sickness, a new round of sadness. Should I keep going? Do you get my point? Do you get Paul's point? But even though you know that all of this is coming, suffering, affliction, troubles, heartache, sorrow, despair, tribulation, persecution, betrayal, sickness, sadness, even though you know all of this is coming, you can still have hope, like Paul, that he will deliver us again. I mean, isn't verse 10 why you came to church today? Isn't this why you came to church? To be reminded that you have hope, to be reminded that you serve a God who has delivered you and will deliver you again and again and again? What more does God have to say to you for you to trust Him today? Listen, anything that happens in your life must go through verse 10. Anything that happens in your life must travel through 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. It has to go through hope. It comes into your life, and guess what? It's all covered in hope, like, like glitter. Your suffering and your problems and your sorrows have to travel through verse 10 to enter your life, and when they show up, they have the, verse, they have the hope of verse 10 all over them, covered them like, like glitter. It's everywhere. Hope is everywhere. And so when suffering comes into your life, as God gives you the grace and empowers you by His Spirit, you look at it and you say, Oh my, you have hope all over you. You are covered in 2 Corinthians 1.10. 
And that means that when the government comes and gives us orders of any kind, we can look at them and say, oh my, you have hope all over you. You are covered in 2 Corinthians 1.10. You come into my life, and I'm reminded that my God will deliver me again. And so we can let out a hearty laugh today and take off our black clothes because Jesus is not dead. He's the risen king, and he's actually the one who's calling all the shots, isn't he? Listen, life for Christians in this world is, just, is not just a small trial here or there. It's a life full of troubles along the way. And I often forget this, and I break out in a case of the blahs. We should never be surprised that we're suffering because we're Christians. We should never be surprised by that. We should never be surprised that after we have experienced some incredible deliverance, that we're once again right back in the middle of more yuck and muck. I mean, that is the Christian life. Yuck and muck, delivered. Yuck and muck, delivered. Yuck and muck, delivered. If we're in yuck and muck right now, what's next for us? Delivered. That's what Paul's saying here. In fact, every time God lifts you up out of the yuck and the muck, it's just a sample of what he does throughout the whole Bible. It's a, a foretaste of the inbreaking kingdom of God. It's a snapshot of our final deliverance from sin and death. Every answer to prayer in your life, every deliverance in your life is a fresh jolt of hope for our, I just went through another round of yuck and muck and God delivered me like usual life of discipleship. That's what's so unique about Christianity. We have hope. Every answer to prayer, every deliverance is a fresh jolt of hope. Every answer to prayer is a picture of the inbreaking of God's kingdom. Every answer to prayer is a snapshot of our final deliverance from sin and death. Every answer to prayer is a reminder that Jesus conquered sin and death through his death and resurrection and one day he will return to make all things new. Remember that the next time God answers your prayers and let it give you hope. We are a people of hope. You know what? We're hope dealers. So I thought about this morning. I thought, we're hope dealers. There are drug dealers in the world. We're hope dealers. Even when life gets dark, no matter how dark life gets, no matter what deadly perils come our way, no matter what yuck and muck awaits us on Tuesday of this week, we are a people of hope. And as we've seen through this series, we're a people of suffering. Suffering is the lead car in the Christian life. If we're on a journey to the city that is to come, the pace car is suffering. And more often than not, this is where the Spirit of God is doing His work. He, yes, He uses the ordinary means of grace to change us. The preaching of His Word, the Lord's Supper, baptism, prayer. He uses those. But where the Spirit can often be found is out in front, in the pace car, leading the way to more intimacy with Jesus through suffering and through yuck and muck. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is often out front, in the pace car, leading the way to more intimacy with Jesus through suffering, through yuck and muck. Let that sink in. More intimacy with Jesus through suffering, through yuck and muck, through the coronavirus. Do you have a category for that? Do you have a category for intimacy with Jesus as you suffer? 
Do you have a category for enjoying God as you suffer and slog your way through all the yuck and muck in this world and in life and in our relationships? Wow, I don't know about you, but that's not my default understanding and mindset when I suffer. But where is the Spirit? He's out front, leading us by the hand to a place of suffering because that's where deeper, concrete, rock-solid intimacy with God is. Deep intimacy and enjoyment of God often happens in the deep trenches of suffering in whatever shape and color and kind they may be. Now, we don't go looking for it, but it will find us one day. But we have hope that he will deliver us again because we don't serve a mild God or soft Jesus. And I get that idea from Ralph Davis who said this. It is too bad much of the church has lost this vision of God or Christ as the warrior who fights for his people. Too many of us regard this conception as substandard, by which we mean it does not fit our sentimental 20th century graven images of what God ought to be like. The imagery seems too violent. And we do the same for the Lord Jesus with perhaps not a little help from church school materials. The popular image of Jesus is that he is not only kind and tender, but also soft and prissy, as though Jesus comes to us reeking of hand cream. Such a Jesus can hardly steal the soul that is daily assaulted by the enemy. No mild God or soft Jesus can give his people hope. It is only as we know the warrior of Israel who fights for us, and sometimes without us, that we have hope of triumphing in the muck of life. No mild God or soft Jesus can give his people hope. But the all-powerful, sovereign God of the Bible can. And one way that he gives us hope is through this little meal of juice and cracker. (laughs) Wow, think about that. I'm going to give my people hope and strength. How are you going to do it, God? Give them a little cracker and a swig of juice. Who is this God? Think about that. By faith, God's grace comes to us through this little cracker thing and a swig of grape juice. As we come to the table today to celebrate the Lord's Supper, remember that our hope does not rest in the sincerity of our repentance, as if we can cover every sin in our life. Our hope rests in the intensity of God's love and compassion for sinners And so we don't have to approach this table like it's a funeral today. This is a celebration. When we approach the Lord's Supper, we should do do so with an attitude marked primarily by joy and not sorrow. We come singing and rejoicing, not mourning and weeping. We celebrate not only his life and death, but we also celebrate his resurrection, the very thing that gives us hope. So take off thy black clothes and let out a hearty laugh today. Christian, you are forgiven. Do we need to repent of our sins? Of course, absolutely. But this is a celebration that God loves sinners and sent his son to live and die for them and to rise again for them too. So this table is a reminder that we don't serve a mild God or soft Jesus. This table This tiny cracker and this swig of juice remind us that Jesus is a warrior who conquered sin and death. And if that doesn't make you want to let out a hearty laugh, I don't know what will. So let's pray 
and let's repent, but let's celebrate too. Let's let out a hearty laugh today because sin and death and the devil has been defeated. Let's pray. I just want to begin by letting out a hearty laugh, Father. (laughs) You (laughs) love sinners so much that you sent Jesus to die for us. The foolishness of the cross. And the world would look at us today and say, look at what fools they are. They're singing. They're foolish for that. And they're eating this little meal of a cracker and grape juice and they're getting hope from that. It just makes me want to laugh, Lord, that you love us. And by faith, you empower us by your grace through this little meal. Who are you? All sovereign, all powerful God who humbles himself to love people like us. And because of that kindness, Father, we repent today. We confess our sins this morning. We have not honored you over the last six months with our thoughts and our words and our deeds and the motivation behind all that. And we repent and we say, Father, forgive us and cleanse us. Help us to hate our sin, but help us to have hope in you and help us to share that hope with others because there's so many people out there today, Lord, who have no hope. They're scared to death and we have hope. So would you help us to share hope with them? more than we share our conspiracies, would you help us to share the hope of your son who loved us and gave himself for us? And so we want to rejoice this morning and take off our black clothes and let out a hearty laugh because you love us. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.